Yo, and welcome to the 89th episode of Lake of Rage Pokemon Trading Card Game Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, aka Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by a very special temporary guest host. Joining us for the very first time, we have Ross Cawthon. Ross, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for asking. So we've got a special one because we're going to learn a lot about Ross and his history in the game. One of the longest tenured players still playing. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think so. I've been started playing in 1999 casually. So uh, Jungle is coming out then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been kind of on every competitive circuit since then, more or less. So, uh, yeah, I've been playing for a very long time. It's probably going to be hard to find someone who has been playing as long as the second set that was ever <laughs> released. Yeah, I mean, there were certainly earlier ones, but I don't know if there's there's not there's not many people from that era that are still playing. So I've I've been playing continuously, and I think I can safely say I'm the longest <laughs> uh, doing that continuously all this time. Well, we'll take that claim. I'm I'm not going to fight you on that claim because if anyone <laughs> knows anyone who's been playing longer, just tweet at me and i'll i'll be excited that's pretty much all that one's gonna go uh anyway we're gonna get into some rapid strike questions of course because the first time ross has been on the show then we're gonna talk a little more about his history as a player and then some of the deck innovations because you recognize the name most likely listeners as someone who has created some of the most interesting decks so we're gonna get into those and then a little bit about why you are I don't want to say still, but why you keep playing Pokemon, why you keep coming back to the game through all these different formats and changes and all of that good stuff. Sure. So Ross, are you ready for your rapid strike questions? As ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> That's a correct answer. Uh, so you'll have 60 seconds to answer as many of them as you can. No explanation, just straight off the top of your head. Okay. Here we go. Do you prefer winter or summer? Summer. What's your favorite snack? Red. It's your favorite retro format to go back and play. Oh, five worlds. Your favorite deck you've ever played. The truth. Would you rather be late or be early? Late. What's your favorite world's location? San Diego. Do you prefer super salad? Salad. What are the toppings on your perfect pizza? I don't like pizza. What color sleeves do you use? Blue. Cats or dogs? Cats. Juniper, sycamore, oak, rowan, or magnolia? Juniper. What was your favorite subject in school? Science. Favorite IC location? London. What food are you best at cooking? I don't really cook. <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? Fourth of July. And that is time. So I always love these ones. And I have to go back to, because this will lead into other stuff. Favorite subject in school, science. As a science teacher, I, I love hearing that one. Specifically, yeah. do you want to uh, elaborate on that one a bit? Because I kind of know where this is going. But <laughs> Yeah, of course. I, well, I, yeah, I'm also a science teacher. So I'm a professor of physics and astronomy. So that's, uh, that's kind of in my life. Pokemon and uh, <laughs> astronomy. So I completed my PhD in 2018 and uh now i've been teaching for a year and a half what made you well like what drew you to physics and astronomy specifically this first astronomy i remember i mean as a kid i watched my dad would watch things like star trek and mm. x files which is where the <laughs> the name of truth comes from so you know big into sci-fi 
And, and then I took um, a high school elective on astronomy. And that was, that was the first time it really clicked that, um, oh, I could study space for a living. Like I, that hadn't occurred to me for some reason before because yeah. you know, science fiction is, we're not in space or anything, but, um, and I've, I've really been in love with astronomy since then. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I've gotten to go to observatories. Actually, the owl behind me is from uh, Chile where I would go observing in graduate school. Um, awesome. So yeah, but other than Pokemon, astronomy is my big passion. Is Pluto a planet? No, it's not. Oh, we're going to have to end the podcast right now. All, right, yeah. All your listeners tuned out. <laughs> All right. You, you asked it. I didn't, I didn't bring it up. My college is in Flagstaff and we have a partnership with Lowell Observatory, which is the, yeah. so yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're here yeah. for, we're here for Pokemon, right? So we'll, <laughs> we'll, <stay with> Pokemon. <laughs> we'll jump into the Pokemon. What the audience has come here for. <laughs> so those of you who didn't tune out as soon as we started talking about science, you said you started playing around jungle which yeah. is actually around when I started playing too, though I uh, stopped <laughs> very shortly after. Shout out to Sneasel for that one. Can you, oh, okay. can you talk a little bit about like your journey into Pokemon and becoming this like highly competitive and highly successful player? Sure. Um, so yeah, I started in 1999. I was 10 years old and, you know, Pokemon was pretty big back then. Um, so I remember Jungle was in first edition. Um, and then I think I really got into tournaments. So the next year there was something called the super trainer showdown, mm -hmm. which people from the era or know some history of the game. These are kind of these big national events. There were two a year in 2000, 2001, and there were, there were qualifiers for them. So I, I got second in a qualifier in Seattle and they gave me like this little certificate that says you're invited <laughs> to the super trainer showdown in, um, I think it was long beach, California. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was on a ship, which was really cool. So that was, you know, just like the uh, the old red and blue games. Yeah. Was this, uh, what were age divisions back then? So I, I think it might have been, it might have been four age divisions, or maybe they changed to four at some okay. point in there. I don't know. Ex I mean, it was 20 plus years ago. But, yeah, that, that's um, fair. That's fair. I mean, it was, it was either, it was either three or four. Okay. Uh, they, they did have masters, which get into they cut wizards cut masters then masters came back okay that, that's uh, what I, I was wondering if this was before it was like because it was 14 and under only at like one point it was so worlds 02 which i'll 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 mention in a moment that um that yeah that did not officially have a, a 15 older but i was i was young enough pretty sure the super trainer showdowns had 15 plus i think okay anyway um, jump back in <laughs> sorry right. yeah so so they give me the certificate and i was like i have you know, telling her friends, oh, we got, we got to go to California. I have the certificate to go play. Uh, and it turns out, I think, I think uh, actually, like, anyone with, like, three badges or something from League could go play. So it wasn't really... Yo, I qualified it, then? I think it was something like that. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure there are people who, like, have the, sort of the history, like, you know, written down and everything. But it was, I think it was something like that that I didn't really need to qualify. Now, that. If I had gotten first in the qualifier, I think we would have gotten a free trip. So we didn't get a free trip, but they, they enticed me to come with this certificate. Yeah. So I played that. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't very good back then. But, um, and I put, did one in 2001. 2002 was the first world championship, which was in Seattle, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. um, I had gotten second in the gym challenge, which back in the day was 
uh, you have to win gym challenges to qualify. And, and uh, TPCI did that for a few years. So I didn't qualify from that because I only got second. I didn't win. Mm-hmm. But I did grind in, which back then grinder was four rounds. I think it might be it was single elimination. I think it might have only been best of one, too. I'm not 100% sure. That sounds I think disgusting. <laughs> I think it was best of one. I think main world, main event worlds was two out of three, if I remember right. But the grinder uh, was single elimination best of one. I think so. I, I could be wrong, but I, it was definitely single elimination. And I think it was best of one. Uh, and they also changed the format. So uh, grinder was still rocket on, if I remember right, which the, the gym challenges were. And then worlds was Neo on. Interesting. Uh, so you had to come up with two decks. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I played what I played in the gym challenge, which was a uh, Steelix Neo Genesis for Alligator Neo Genesis. The Riptide. Not, the Riptide, okay. which was not a uh, a common pairing, and I don't know how good it was to be honest. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, it it did beat the uh, Crobats. Can't remember which set from one of the Neos that was like the counter to a uh, for alligator. It was, I lost to a for alligator in the gym challenge finals. Yeah. So I, you know, even back it's... then I was trying to, I guess, be rogue, <laughs> even though like, I wasn't like online very much. I wasn't, you know, nearly as good as I'd be a few years ago. Yeah. But you were still in that same vein of here's the decks to beat. I'm going to figure out how to beat them. I was. Yeah. And, and trying to, to be a little different. Um, and then for the the Neo on, I played. I think, I think I played Dark for Alligator Steelix. So like, because um, but they. I have no idea what Dark for Alligator does. I'm okay. gonna be honest. <laughs> uh, it was like baby Pokemon can't attack or use it or use powers, but it doesn't turn off the baby flip. Oh wait, it doesn't turn off the flip, but it does turn off like Eek. Yes, I okay. think that's right. But actually, I remember asking a judge if it turned off the flip, and and they told me it didn't. So like, I was I was not on my, you know, I wasn't like I'd be a few years ago on top of everything. And but they also did change the format, and you know, this is, you know, well before I'm like testing online or anything. So mm-hmm. I, I probably had never played that deck to be honest <laughs> with the Dark Gator, but uh, with the rotation, I mean, they didn't rotate out Neo Genesis for Alligator, but they rotated out like Trash Exchange and those cards that you you needed. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so I played in that, you know, didn't do too well. Um, but I played in that first Worlds. And then 2003 was the transition year where Wizards of the Coast was wrapping up. Um, poke, um, you know, being the conveyor of Pokemon cards, TPCI was taking it back. Mm-hmm. Which was a, a time of a lot of uncertainty. Were you still playing back then? Or? I was out of it at that point. Okay. So I remember, like, you know, you could ask other people from back then, but I mean, the feeling I feel like was we weren't sure what was going to happen with Pokemon. Like we we thought maybe the game would be dying then. Because mm-hmm. um, turns out, po- yeah. Correct me TBCI. if I'm wrong, but the idea of like Wizards is the card game thing because of Magic, and so was that what caused the uncertainty, or was there just like changing hands in general was the uncertainty? I think it was just changing hands in general. I mean. Wizards had shepherded the game since it came out in America, so which had been four plus years, and there was a community, and mm-hmm. you know there was, you know, this is back in the early day, <laughs> early ish days of the internet. And it was there was Pokegym though, and there were like people from Wizards who would you know uh, talk on Pokegym, and there was already a community, and there was you know a lot of uncertainty. 
Yeah, for uh, I, I know our demographics. So most people are around our age where they're well aware of like forums okay. and early internet. But uh, for those of you who are not, <laughs> they were very similar to subreddits, but not anywhere near as interconnected and easily findable. <laughs> yeah, it was a small community back then, uh, Pokemon, compared to today. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, there it was. It was an interesting time because there was a real you know, ecosystem in Pokemon and you, you kind of knew everyone, but you only knew everyone by their screen names. Yeah. Which is a bit interesting. Um, I think that's anyway, what uh, we had Pablo on last week and he mentioned, oh, yeah. he's like, oh yeah, and with Pidgeotto Master, Pidgeotto Trainer, I think you were at the time. Yeah, that was my <laughs> name on, on, on uh, Pokemon. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, 2003 was there was a big event it was like wizards of the coast last big event called the fan appreciation tournament or fat um so that was i think at gen con in indianapolis so i think i got like top 64 ish in that um and uh so i didn't, didn't do too well but i did beat jason klazinski in that event and he went on to win that event uh that's so a was, <laughs> that's a big that one something. yeah and I, I obviously didn't know him personally then um and then i guess had the next sort of big thing in my early times was 2005 which is really probably my breakout where people start to know me where i got second at the world championships with a deck i created dark tarantar electro dx which mm -hmm. i called how block i know no one calls it that anymore yeah i've always but, every time i go play retro someone has a little label on it says bomb tar that's always yeah, the goat. It's fine. But I, that, <laughs> that, was, that was my big deck. And that was, um, you know, I tested a lot that summer. That was the first time that year I started testing Pokemon on my computer. There was a program called Lackey. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 ex, that ease of testing really propelled me forward to become like a top player. Um, so I'm curious, because this was the same event then that uh, Pablo got top four in, right, with Nidoqueen? It was, yeah. We didn't know each other then, uh, <laughs> at least not really. Like, we kind of, I think after we both got top four, we started to talk a little bit after that. That makes sense. It's like, th there's a gigantic world of Pokemon, technically, compared to the, <laughs> whatever the internet yeah. was at that point. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and it's been cool to see pablo a lot of tournaments recently because for you know many years we would only see each other at worlds yeah because you know, there was no air nationals it was regionals flying around wasn't really a thing uh but yeah i got second at worlds and also maybe not as many uh newer players might know this or know the context of this but uh sort of my big thing in that event is i beat the defending world champion sugiyoshi yamato mm -hmm. and to give a little more history so 2004 Worlds, first TPCI Worlds, is the first world where Japanese players were facing you know, the rest of the world. So us, us in America, us in the Western world, this is the first time we ever really play against Japanese players. I, I don't know anything about like Tropical Mega Battle or early things, but those were really small. So effectively, yeah. this is the first time. And of course, I mean, this is, a lot of people know the story, but um, you know, Japan comes with the Team Magma decks in 2004 which was not a meta deck in you know, the Western world. So we were like, what's going on? And that wasn't even like the most recent set or anything. And of course, most of the, most of the Japanese players were playing that and they go on to win every age division uh, with Yamato winning the 04 Masters division, I, I think undefeated, I could be wrong on that. 
so I so then he gets the top eight the next year. So I'm the first person in the Western world who you know had seen him be knocked off. So that was that was a big thing for me personally. I think that was just as big to me as getting second um, at that time. I was recently and looking it, back at history and trying to be a good host and <laughs> educate myself a little. And yeah. I, I looked at that world and it wasn't just like him at the top, but it looked like uh, Team Magma was everywhere in that top eight. It was like three or four of the top eight. I think I think that's like, right. I think it might have been three of the four top four. Uh, the other one being Chris Bullock with a, a Blaziken tech deck. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, they they dominated and it was and again, this was the first event where Japanese players played the rest of the world and they and they kicked their butts <laughs> as our as in the Western world, I guess. Um, so it was a big deal for me to like be the one to to beat him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I guess um, maybe I'll stop around there going sort of year by year. But, you know, since since that time, I've kind of been perennially a, a top player, I've been going to every world. So I've been the, the only player that's qualified and played in all 18 world championships it's been a very long journey um and you know so i had obviously some some other big finishes 2011 i got second with the truth which was vileplume reuniclus 2016 top four with uh, a vespaclin evital octillery deck and then a handful of other top 16s most recently this past summer with uh the intellion radiant charizard deck and uh, incredibly incredible history of just like everything yeah i mean i'm i've stuck with it and yeah I, I mean i guess we can talk later about why i've stuck with it but um actually let's segue into that now i'll just switch it on the the timestamps. Okay. why sure. do you keep playing so i'm going to preface this a little bit with like the why i think this question is so important so okay. we've been through a lot of formats and you find a ton of people who are like, oh, six is the best format or like RSPK is better. We're sure. Whatever. That's fine. Same thing. Right. They're like, oh, that was the best format. And there's a ton of people. 2010 is the best format. And there's a ton of people like tag teams ruin the game. How can you play anymore? And then VMAX is ruined the game. And you hear a ton of top players who still rag on the game constantly. And it seems like they're just in it to be in it still. It's so like, why do you keep playing like what draws you back to pokemon is it the game is it the people is it like what is it about pokemon that keeps you coming back yeah i mean there's there's many things i mean definitely like some of my oldest friends are from pokemon but you know probably more than half of them don't really play anymore and i see them outside of tournaments now so it's it's, it's mostly the game i just really love the game it's a really complex intricate game every format is like a new puzzle to solve and um i i hear what you're saying i hear it too you know it's you know a lot of people complain about various formats and it's not it's not that they don't have reasons but um i mean i don't think there's really ever been a format that i found uninteresting like it's always interesting to me even, i mean I even certain, toad mirrors i mean i played other stuff <laughs> I, I, I had way oh I, you know you're asking me about the lysander yeah. toad right that format yeah, you're asking you're asking me about decks that like I wanted to talk about. Um, we could talk we could talk about the trump card format at some point. So okay, we, we we'll, could, we'll get to I, that. I had a good counter to that, which is forgotten by history. Um, but no, I mean, there's all I, I mean, I don't like all formats equally. So it's, mm -hmm. some are better than others, but like, there's always something interesting in the Pokemon TCG. There's just 
so many different cards, so many different types of strategies, different tech cards, the metagame evolves in different ways. And even if the metagame gets stale, which it never gets fully stale in my opinion. I mean, yeah. some more stale than others. You get a new set in three months and the whole game changes. And it's, it's just always such a fun puzzle to figure out. Like whenever a new set comes out and I like really look at it for the first time, you know, I'll just open my computer and open it up a text document and just like be writing down ideas, you know, 20, 30 ideas, you know, a whole page full of ideas. And then, you know, going through those, going to making lists, testing them out, really trying to figure out, you know, something other people aren't looking at. It's just a really fun puzzle. And that's, that's really the biggest reason that keeps me coming back. And yeah, it's, it's, it's still fun for me. Um, so I, yeah, you, usually when people are complaining about the format, I, I, I don't feel the same way. I, I always find something interesting in the format, not all equally again, but, uh, yeah. I think there's always something interesting. That's, that's really the main thing that keeps bringing me back. So would you say, are you more of a fan of, and obviously you're a fan of both of these, but like, are you more of a fan of the metagaming portion of figuring out how do I break this format or the like individual gameplay? Probably the first one, probably the like figuring out the ideas. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the gameplay is really interesting too. The gameplay, I think, I think the tur the tournaments are more stressful than the coming up with ideas. <laughs> coming up with ideas is is fun. Sometimes I think of what if it is like uh you know some people they're uh, like uh they use their creative energy towards like painting or music writing or something. I mm. I think I put my creative energy into figuring out Pokemon combos and that that's <laughs> a lot of fun. And then when you go to test them or you go to test them on tournaments, I mean then one a lot of times they don't work. Then <laughs> you know, it gets frustrating. Um, and then when it does work, it's like, oh wow, I did it! I made something you know everyone's everyone else is overlooked. Um, but yeah, probably the the coming up with ideas is like where my true passion is. I even like uh, my friends make fun of me for this sometimes, but like I won't look at the next set until until that's my next tournament because you show me a hundred new cards, I'm just gonna instantly <laughs> start thinking of ideas. Like even if I know I shouldn't. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably where my, my main passion lies. I love how you two said is the exact opposite of me. I get so stressed out trying to be creative and looking at new cards and trying to figure out combos. But when I'm in a tournament, I'm just like, this is it. This is the place to be. <laughs> so I think it's yeah. so interesting to hear someone who's complete opposite of that. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of the great thing about Pokemon. There's all these different elements. There's the sort of the, the theory crafting part, and then there's the gameplay part, and you know, and obviously you know, getting to see people and yeah. And of course, I did play the you know the Game Boy games back in the day, so that was probably the draw at the beginning. Like, oh, I see this this fun world, and watch the anime, and see this fun world, and get to sort of partake in that mm -hmm. in a way. And you know, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many elements of Pokemon that are great. And then the second thing I wanted off of that, like of everything was you mentioned the creativity or the creative energy. Mm -hmm. Do you think like, is that what drew you to like, so you physics, astronomy, right? The same, like very uh -huh. logical, very, I don't know how much room for creativity is there. Is that what drew you to teaching as a part of that? Or do you think because I have such a logic based job, I'm able to have more creative energy or need to expend my creative energy in, you know, Pokemon, my hobby, my game. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all those things are a little bit different, but they're related. I think definitely 
the biggest connection between science and Pokemon is it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of thinking and some of that's creativity and some of that's just sort of, you know, problem solving, often abstract problem solving, mm -hmm. critical thinking. Um, it, it's all related. So I think, I mean, I think probably if I had to pick one core idea that appeals to me, it's like solving problems or understanding things, learning about things. Maybe that's more on the science side. I mean, sci I think the big appeal of the science is like you're learning how the world actually works. Like that's a, like a really important question. Mm -hmm. um, more, m more fundamental question than like, what is the deck that breaks this format? Uh, <laughs> of the two, probably often the one that breaks this format, that's kind of more, maybe more of a fun thing. Yeah. Um, um, but but the, the science is a more important thing and it's, they're both like trying to understand something new. Um, sort of the quest for knowledge or, you know, solving puzzles. So I think, I think that's the main thing. And creativity is part of that. Um, yeah, it's part of that. It's not the only thing, but they're, they're all related. And then we'll lead into the specifics of the decks as well. But as you were kind of mentioning the, the like, why you play the game, breaking the meta, things like that. Lately, you have been, yes, I follow the decks that you play, because as we talked about in the pre thing, it tends to be something that I want to play as well. But lately, yeah. you've been like one trick Spiritomb, you know, ADP Spiritomb, then regular Spiritomb, or like a one trick, I don't know, one trick's the wrong word, but like every tournament I see, you're Spiritomb, Baby Blounds, Rapid Strike Malamar, Zoroark yeah. Box. Is that something that you're like, I'm going to break this one thing because I think it's there? Or is that something that's like out of necessity of time because you're now a professional? Or is that like, why have you been sticking with one deck at a time? A little bit of both. Um probably more the second thing you said where it's just sort of a matter of time because mm -hmm. yeah I, I do have a full-time job you know i spend a lot of um, the last number of years really focused on my career i mean that's 2017 was the last year i went for the straight day two invites really did the rankings chase and everything yeah because in 2018 i was you know looking for jobs and finishing my phd um so some of it is that like like i do not have the time to test you know the five best decks and really piece part of the format i i do have time to sort of master one or two decks and get really good at that mm -hmm. and i think that is sort of strategic by, necess by necessity to kind of like focus my energy and time when i know it's limited to learning one thing that's probably more for the decks you mentioned like malmar zorak recently for me blount i really love playing blount blount is <laughs> like well, at least the, the firebox plans because the, yeah. the, the game can develop in so many different ways um but but i think more for the i think when it, when it comes to worlds i've always sort of focused more and then it's like i really want to find something that no one else is playing and because i because i do think uh there must be something out there that other people have overlooked mm -hmm. Um, so, so it's a little bit of both probably during the year, more of it's like, I just want to get good at one deck. So I have a shot every tournament and, and then for worlds, I put in a little more time. It's like, okay, I want to find something that is better than everything else people have been discovering. And so, yeah, a little bit of both. So let's get into some of those decks specifically. And so anyone listening wants to jump to the truth automatically, right? Let's no, no, no we're not going to go to that one yet. I want to talk because I actually didn't know this was one of yours. I thought every time I played a retro format, I assumed this was a combo people saw immediately. And that's the Dark Tyranitar Electrode. 
So sure. can you kind of walk through how did you come up with that and maybe kind of walk through the very basics of the deck because we do have an audience who hasn't been playing quite that long it's like the basics of the deck and then how did you come up with this combo that no one else had seen right yeah and that was it was an interesting story which i think sort of gets into because people have asked me especially for the truth but other decks like how do i come up with these things um so it really started there was someone posted a deck there were some like private forums for like some top players back in the day. I don't, sorry to keep track of the names kept changing. Yeah. Uh, but like someone posted, which was kind of a fun deck. Like um, it was an executor electrode EX. And so this, uh, this executor was like, it's similar, you know, more recent ones where it's like flip a coin for every energy attached to it and do a bunch of damage. Uh, <laughs> Big so explosion. Let's go. Yeah. I mean that <laughs> I don't remember the exact name, but there've been like other executors that, Probably oh, been like four or five exactly. That was the the fossil one was the big explosion. I don't know what this one's attack was, but yeah, this was yeah. I mean, it was in the 05 format, but um, I don't know. I tested that because that was that was different. Yeah. Um, and actually, I remember this that I remember playing a game where I was playing that deck, which is you know, there's Pow Hand Extension obviously in that deck, which um, for those who don't know, Pow Hand Extension was a great card, which you can only play it when you're behind in prizes. And um, you can either, it's either a gust of wind, which obviously was not legal in 05. Mm-hmm. That's when it was a base set card, you know, gust for an item, basically. Or you could move an energy from the active to your opponent's bench. Uh, so mostly in that deck, that was about gust and KO something, right? But I noticed in a game that when I was like struggling to set up, I could power hand extension, like something with a big dr- retreat cost. and you know, leave it active, which is, I mean, a pretty common strategy now, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, there wasn't as much like, well, we'll get, there wasn't as much spread decks. I mean, there are some things, but uh, I just noticed like, oh, I can stall with power hand extension. Maybe I should try something based around using power hand extension and doing bench damage. So then I tried a, a little known Stage one Steelix card, not the good Neo Genesis Steelix years <laughs> later. Yeah. They did like 20 everywhere. So I kind of focused on that strategy. And then eventually I decided to go with the Dark Tyranitar, uh, which of course, so this Dark Tyranitar is three attacks. Basically, two of them do a bunch of damage if you have a lot of energy. And then one of them is 20 everywhere. Mm-hmm. But that's the stage two. So that changed the deck a lot to add a stage two to that. Because uh, Executor and Steelix are stage ones, but it had the Dark Tyranitar basically had the ability to do both of those things that the Executor and the Steelix did. Either get a bunch of energy from Electro DX, which um, you, know, it, you can KO it, and they get five energy from the discard pile. And then there's like Scramble energy, which is three energy when you're behind in prizes. Um, so there's a lot of you know play from behind mechanics. Mm-hmm. And the Dark Tyranitar kind of com- combined this. Uh, bench damage and aggro KO things in one shot. And, you know, add more to the deck being stage two is a little slower, but, uh, you know, it ended up working that it became a really um, flexible deck that you could go into either of those strategies, depending on what you're playing against or kind of how your opponent played or their setup. Um, So it really came from a few things that started with sort of a kind of a more fun (laughs) deck. Yeah, and played a game, and I made a, a connection like, oh, I could 
focus on this strategy, try a different deck, focus on that strategy, you know, merge those together and make a new deck. And that's kind of in a nutshell, I think the process, how the process always works, how I sometimes end up with these very creative decks. Like people are like, where did you come up with that? And it's like, it is always step-by-step. Step. It's one idea or some games lead to another. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what led to that deck. And I tested that a lot. And as I was saying, I, I, you know, I wasn't a prominent player back then. So that was, you know, I mean, I think I, my goal was like top 32. <laughs> did a little better. You know, did a little better than that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, that, I put a lot of work into that deck and uh, yeah. And that's a really fun deck because it can, it can do so many strategies. It's very dynamic. Is this the first like time where people really looked at Electrode EX? It was an EX, correct? As like it a good card. Um, I, well, there was the executor thing I mentioned. I think I think the ZRE deck, which you may have heard of, which was what Zap? No, okay. No. So Zapdos EX, Requaza EX, Electrode EX. So uh, Zapdos EX. It was like it was like three for fifty to seventy, which. Back then was fine. <laughs> Today that sounds like why would you ever play this? Right. Um, and it had um, had a legendary ascent, which is uh, you know basically like the um, the Heatran EX ability or Glaring Surfish. Like you can, hmm. if when you play it, you can move it active and take energy from other things. So there's a I think there was a zap zap turn dose, which you know oh, zap turn dose. That's clever. <laughs> you know, turn two zap dose deck. That yeah. was also a thing. Whether you paid like the Voltorb that would um, like attach an energy to itself on mm -hmm. turn one, and then Zapdos. So then ZRE was kind of like that. I think it, I think it played Zapdos like for early game because it's a Voltorb, so you could do still do that strategy. Mm -hmm. But then you could also evolve to Electro when that when the Zapdos gets hit. Electro has to can't attach to an EX, but you can attach them to. Um, if I'm remembering this right, it's been so long. You can attach them to something else. And then the Requaza EX, I think, also has like a take energy from other things. And then, you know, it does more, does more damage for the map energy on it. So that was a very aggressive deck, which I think, I think that was a thing before my deck. And then I remember, I don't remember how much this played out, but we thought, I remember the rumor before 05 Worlds was the Japanese were going to play that deck. CRE. Mm -hmm. And I think some of them did, but it wasn't it wasn't like Magma the year before where they all played that. So yeah. Yamada played Ludicargo, but I think some Japanese players did play ZRE. There was even some I know there were some US players that uh like switched to ZRE like the day before Worlds <laughs> after they thought they heard or they thought they had some idea of what the Japanese players were playing and they, they switched to that, I guess because you know, you know our <laughs> butts the year before so and some of them did really well um i think some people top cut some americans and you know other westerners top cut with cre because they got back on zre at least hearing a rumor that the japanese were on it so uh, that was a deck before my deck so there was some electro dx play if i was the the first one to really put that with a dark tarantar and then one more thing about that deck is would pow hand extension would you say this is just like one of the best design trainers of all time? And you don't have to like rank everything, but it's just like one of those cards that like everything about it's just so good and fair. Or do you think it's broken? <laughs> do you think it's actually just like incredibly good? Um, it's definitely one of my favorite cards. Mm -hmm. um, is it fair or broken? Uh, 
I mean, it's, I think, I think at that time, I think it was fair. Like it was interesting. I mean, there were, there were a lot of combat cards all at once in that format compared to today's standards. So (laughs) where we have rocks and and nothing. Well, yeah. I'm yeah. (laughs) It's hard to compare. I mean, I, I think, I'm open to I, I'm open to arguments that it was broken or it was fair. It was <laughs> it was very good. I loved the card because it was. I do like cards that give you multiple options. Like I think that's a gr- always a great thing. Like I like Serena in the current format. Not that it's a great card, but like I like cards like that. They <laughs> give you a couple options because I think that leads to more more strategy and more you know more choices, and that's that's always a good thing. Yeah, the stuff like the Serena, the Custom Catcher. Technically Puzzle of Time, though, in reality, yeah. you didn't want to pick the first one ever unless you had no choice. <laughs> right. I mean, I think Serena and Power are both there and that, like, the choices are maybe sort of of equal, equal-ish value yeah. more than, like, Puzzle of Time or even Custom Catcher. I mean, a Custom Catcher, I think it has a good first effect. That, that one I like. It's, like, sort of a, a desperation <laughs> type of card. I've definitely, I don't know if you played a custom catcher deck that format, but I played Picaram when that first mm-hmm. like rotation happened, it was cut, and I used that first effect so many times. Yeah. I mean, I certainly tested decks with that. And yeah, that was, that was such a, that was a frustrating format with so, so little draw. Um, Did you day one yeah, worlds I, that form? Yeah. I mean, I know you're in worlds, but you played day one that year? 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I mean, I've been to every world, so I, that I did day one. That was the one year I have not made day two. Because so, uh, that that day one field was the day two field makes it look like a healthy meta. The day one field, I don't know how many Malamars you hit, but I just hit nothing but spell tag uh, Malamar all day. It was just annoying. Yeah, I don't think I played any. What? Yeah, I'm I jealous. played against like green zards, and I played against um. The like toward firebox same deck. Um, what else did I play against? But yeah, it didn't go well. I was I was playing what was a cool deck. Uh, it was uh, the Umbreon Darkrai GX Dark Box deck with the Incineroar. Oh, yeah, uh, and it was it was kind of cool. Someone someone I posted it somewhere, so I, I wasn't the first one that thought of that, but it wasn't big at all. Uh, it had nine tails EX, and it really worked because you could cherish ball. For nine tails ex and then you could get um like a cherish ball rare candy get the incineroar yeah and then there was the, uh, the weavile of course the weavile to move the energy uh from incineroar to dark rise so it, again it was a form with little draw but this really cherish ball really got this going so it was i, I thought it was a decent deck but no, it was the it was the only one that's failed to take me to day three. <laughs> so maybe not was, decent yeah it was I did pretty well in the the open the the next that year, uh, so it might have just been bad luck. But uh, it didn't have the results of many of my other creations. But that that was a fun day. Another one of the creations that I want to talk about is Shocklock. So Shocklock is one that so expanded technically doesn't exist anymore. I guess I don't know. But for anyone who's been around long enough, you've heard of Shocklock. You maybe hit it on ladder occasionally. You hear rumors about do you tech for it or not at tournaments. This is, to me, 
the absolute coolest deck that has ever existed because you have cards from black and white using cards from even now it has changed with new sword and shield cards being added to it but cards sun and moon was necessary right so you had these gigantic gap of the very first expanded set with the pickup lillipup all the way to you know evo shock raichu and then stuff kept getting added and improved upon yeah the herdier was what sun moon yeah the Uh treasure hunt i think this treasure hunt one yeah 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 there's and now memory energy is the big like that that wasn't sword anyway how did you possibly come up with this just mixture of cards that has become one of the most i don't know powerful (laughs) is the right word but something decks in expanded infamous maybe there we Uh, go no i think most people most people don't have fond feelings of shoglock but (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's a very polarizing deck, probably. Some people love it, some people hate it. Um, I mean, I guess going back to, well, we, we haven't talked about the truth, but like lock decks are one of the type of decks that mm-hmm. have had, has kind of always appealed to me. And, and I really always liked that Stoutland Boundaries Cross with that, you know, stop supporters from being played when it's active. Uh, and I always, I remember even when it was in standard, like, there should be a way to you know build around this deck. Either some kind of hit and run something. I played Stoutland next Selgor and at least one expanded regionals, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew a, it was really just like over years thinking about the Stoutland deck, the Stoutland card, and like trying to figure out combos with it. And I I knew I'd been thinking for months, or at least I was aware for months of like the the pickup Lillipup. Mm-hmm. And I think at that time, I think at the first iteration, there was just like the Celebi EX. Uh, and then. Yes, because uh, Shrine of Memories was not out yet, I think. Or was yeah, it? I, yeah, I don't. I never played Shrine of Memories. I played because that could get countered. So I think, I think that at least when I was playing, and I didn't, I haven't played Expanded for a few years. Yeah, good choice. But, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I had Celebi EX, and then later we got the. Uh, shining selby or i can't remember the names but there was, was a shining something that had uh, the... yeah it, it was a one prize selby that had the same effect mm-hmm. it was basically memory very first all your pokemon uh and then there was the and later came the memory energy um so i was aware so even back when it was just selby x there's aware of that uh and i played selby x in a, my 2013 world deck with a gothitel gotharita with the flip uh energy removal effect. yeah um and then it it took me like a month after the raichu from burning shadows came out before i like i really put piece together okay you could raichu every turn by picking up the evolution spray and you know most most switch effects and expanded certainly were guzma yep was the one or acerola uh, so if you shut off supporters, you shut off switch effects, and they can't do anything. And then with Palpad or some other um, other cards, you can have ways to not deck yourself out, and then you just deck them out by paralyzing them for like you know, thirty <laughs> turns in a row. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of thing. It was just again, it was just like I've been thinking of certain cards for a long time, and then I knew the Lillipup and knew some combinations, and you know just one day i sort of piece it together and write our list and oh yeah this works and uh yeah that that was that was a fun deck to like 
come up with this like devastating combo that uh like just locks the game completely what drew you to Stoutland over? Because like you mentioned Excelgor, right? And it used to be Excelgor, Gothitelle, or Trevenant, right? The item lock. So what were you yeah. like? Stoutland seems, I, mean, I don't know if better is the right word, but more interesting than these item lock cards? Um, yeah, I mean, the Trevenant Excelgor and the, the Gothitelle Excelgor definitely got more play. I mean, some of it's uh, meta dependent. Mm -hmm. It's hard to remember like what, what were the common switch cards and all these different formats. Um, but I think, I think separately than that, I also liked the Stoutland. I think I was just like always drawn to sort of lock like cards. Um, I also played, uh, Wobbuffet Excelgor in a couple of regionals. I think I got, I think, I think I got a couple top eights or at least one top eight, mm -hmm. maybe two top eights with that. Uh, so <laughs> I was, I was kind of thinking about all those things. Um, so maybe maybe it wasn't completely linear just to to Satlin Raichu, the yeah. top top deck. But I, I I tinkered with a lot of those lock types of cards in those years. So that kind of leads us into the obvious lock deck, which is one of the most infamous, I think, decks in the history of the Pokemon trading card game. And that is the truth. The truth. So I wanna say what I have heard about this deck, I haven't done a ton of research about it, and I want to know okay. how much is true. You okay. saw Tropical Beach get revealed, and you made the deck because you realized that this thing would enable this ability to play multiple stage twos. Is there any truth <laughs> to that? Or did Tropical Beach get added to your world's deck? Tropical Beach got added to the world's deck. I had... Okay. So I, I we, we can talk more about the deck, but again to the tropical beach so i had the the deck was i mean we didn't know we did not know there was a tropical beach card as far as i'm aware uh until the friday before worlds so like and that card was day one played that saturday day one was played on saturday okay uh so yeah so the deck was created i was gonna play it re regardless of tropical beach <laughs> uh so, so that that's definitely false but um it is true that like <laughs> Um, so, so my friends played the grinder and they didn't play the truth because, uh, you can get more into how no leaks. Well, no, no, oh. well, they didn't believe in it. It was, it was actually more that just like, um, it, I can't with the truth, like the week of worlds, which is, is the shortest, it was by far the least amount I've played with any worlds deck I've played. Yeah. Except maybe, maybe I got O2 exception, but that was great. <laughs> Um, but like any of the more, you know, the Masters Worlds, ne by far the least I'd played that deck. And I, I can talk about sort of where I came up with that. And there was Please. again a yeah. lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I was testing a lot of Bioplume decks. Um, let me maybe just finish the thought on Tropical Beach, but I can go back to the, For sure. the history. So it was very late that I came up with this deck. Um, so, you know, my, I, Told my friends about. It. I don't think you know. They're, they're most of them are playing the grinder, so like they're, you know, it's too late for them to like play this weird deck I came up with. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then Friday, and so the Friday they helped me test a lot. So actually the deck changed a lot, which I can go into more detail. But uh, I remember they showed me this tropical beach promo, and then I look at it, it's like this is really good. It's like, and then I realized, yeah, this could be useful in my deck, but we were all under the impression it wasn't going to be legal. Mm -hmm. And I think that was because they had told the grinder players it wasn't legal. 
which makes sense in a practical standpoint. Maybe there's some legal reason of like, oh, it doesn't come out till the Saturday of Worlds, or but like, yeah, you know, the grinder players obviously don't get the tropical beach. So if like someone's friend gave them tropical beach, that's probably unfair. Yeah, so I assumed it wasn't legal, and then sort of a luck aspect of this is that um, that summer I was doing an internship, so I only got to Worlds like Friday night, which usually I try to get there earlier. So just by chance. I picked up my tropical beach in the morning of worlds because I couldn't get there earlier. And then I hear the announcement, you know, maybe and I think back, back then, like we do sit down, like all the players would sit down and you have your deck list written out and then they take them all. Right. So I still, so I haven't handed my deck list yet, but like we're, we're about to sit down or maybe it's, you know, half hour before we have to sit down and I hear over the loudspeakers, the, tro- the tropical beach is legal for this event. <laughs> and then I literally go up to a judge because like there's been many cases of this in Pokemon where like they changed like how things work. So like the vile plume, I can't remember the wording, but like it says it stops trainers yeah. or except support. I think it says it's not trainers except supporters or I'm probably getting this in detail wrong, but like they had changed what a stadium meant. So I wasn't I wasn't sure if you could play a stadium even under Vileplume, mm-hmm. which it may have even if you couldn't, maybe it'd still be good. Uh, but I wanted to know that, so I remember asking that, uh, and they said you could, and so then I added it to my deck, and you know, I never tested it or anything, but I was like, oh yeah, this is good. Because I remember, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, as you know, as it's often the case, I was there was one card that I was like still debating like the morning of. It was I think it was gonna be a professor. Professor Elm's training method, and I can't remember why I was why I was deciding against that, but it wasn't Elm's training method. It was that 60th car, and I was like, yeah. okay, well, I'll, I'll cut this. This stadium seems better. That's so perfect. That was going to be my. How did you possibly decide what to cut? But yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I if it would have been a hard decision. Maybe I wouldn't have played it. And people have asked me like, would I have played more? I mean, probably, but like, you know, <laughs> not last minute. I, 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 yeah, I had like um, you know, minutes. To and then how am I going to get another beach? Even if I had the thought like, oh, maybe I should play. I think I probably thought like having one is good just so you could twins for it, but probably more is even better. Uh, but even like, uh, so probably, I assume, you know, Tyler Ninamura yep. was a long time Seattle player, a good friend of mine. Um, he was the only other one who played the truth in the main event and he couldn't play the beach because it was sitting in his hotel room. <laughs> he had there. The day early so that that was a little lucky that i even had the chance to play the beach um but no the deck existed before that it wasn't like i see a beach and i create a 60 new card deck all from <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't quite that extreme okay um but coming up with the deck i mean as you know as 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 i've established for years i always look, try to look a little bit different from where the main decks Mm-hmm. And I didn't go to nationals that year because I was in internship and I had my invite from ratings. I think it was ratings back then. Um, and I remember there were some Vileplume decks that did well at nationals, probably like top 64 or something. I can't, I, I'm trying to remember which ones are where. I think it was something grass. It might have been Yamega, although it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, because um, I only had that four cards in hand, right? So Yeah, maybe it was something else. Or maybe they actually used... I don't know. I, mean, but I, yeah, I guess you could, still, you could still play like Judge or. or oh, that's true. Um, but yeah, if I, I thought about looking back, but I have notes somewhere. 
Um, <laughs> but there were, there were Vileplume decks. So I tried a bunch of Vileplume decks that summer because, of course, the main decks were like Typhlosion Reshiram, Magnazone, Embor, um, the sort of Stage 1s deck with like Zoroark and Donphan. Um, oh, and yeah, Mega Magnazone, of course. That was yeah. probably the biggest deck. Um, so all like very fast decks, lots of Pokemon catchers and junk on for Pokemon catchers. And so I wanted to play Vileplume just to kind of be different, but also kind of to stop all that. Mm-hmm. So I remember I tested a lot like a Miss Magius Vileplume, which was like I had a Poltergeist attack. Uh, yeah, yeah. Da- damage for all the trainers in your opponent's hand. Um, which would have been similar to like the Gengar Mimikyu Omastar deck that was yes. never yep. playable, but existed quite a bit on the PTCGO ladder. <laughs> Yes, yep, I, I agree with how everything you just said. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was also an, an interesting deck, not, not that great. But, um, and then I was, try, I was trying to remember, I think, I think at some point I had this weird idea of like Vileplume Typhlosion Prime. So Typhlosion Prime Reshiram was a big deck. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if I actually tested this, but I definitely think I like wrote a list of this idea of Typhlosion Prime Reshiram with a Vileplume. And I guess I was thinking like Typhlosion gets back energy. You don't need the items as much as maybe other things. I don't, if I tested it, it wasn't for very long. But uh, the key thing that um, I thought about that would lead to the truth is so the, so the Typhlosion puts damage on the Reshirams. Mm-hmm. It, put, it, puts da- it puts damage counters. So Reshiram yeah. has... 130 HP, it does has the flare blitz attack for 120. So a key thing is so Reshrams typically KO each other because they have this damage. Yeah. And also the Typhlosion Reshram Ram deck typically play plus power, which was in this format. And so I thought about there was a Blossom in this format. It wasn't played that often. And maybe I'd seen it somewhere, or maybe I just knew about it and, and thought about it. So, I mean, Blossom obviously also evolves from Gloom. So you Which could, is so you know, sick. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so if you're playing Vileplume anyways, you kind of throw this in. It, it heal, I think it heals 10 from all your Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, if you, you know, time this right, if you could heal the Typhlosion damage off of the Reshiram, then it has full HP, and opposing Reshirams can't KO it, because they can only do 120, they can't use plus power because of vile plume and um and you can ko them because they will have damage from their own typhlosions yeah so, so i don't know if i ever tested all that if i did probably not for very long so it's probably yeah it's probably like, too much to really work all that going on mm-hmm. but the i that idea that okay a little bit of healing and the fact that you can't play plus power sort of puts things out of range when you have a vile plume out that led to the idea Okay, what if I go a hundred percent into this idea and play Reuniclus damage swap like the base set Alexam, mm-hmm. where I fully exploit having Pokemon that can't be KO'd in one shot if they don't have plus power, they can't gust under item lock and just heal them every turn. Uh, so it was like a lot of playing with Vileplume decks, and then you know that led to something like Typhlosion, and then this interaction of healing and damage. Give me a thought. What if I focused on healing and putting things out of range, and then put together the truth, reunifies vile plume, and you know I had no idea if this would work. You know, two stage twos. <laughs> um, you know, you're playing just like kind of weak attackers, not playing that much energy. Just, but you know, four twins is really strong. It's such um, a sick card. I love know. twins. 
Yeah, it's a really strong engine. And but again, this was like the Monday or Tuesday before Worlds. So later than I've done previously or later than I've done since. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd maybe only played 15, 20 games before like the Friday of Worlds. And then then my friends tested it a lot because most of them were out in the grinder. So that was that that then it became really a team effort. And they really the deck initially had um a two-two Suicune Entei Legend. So these yeah. these legend cards. Um, you have if you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You have to look up these legend cards. I guess they were there were two cards together, which I guess now we know we've seen something like that's V Unions. But it was two cards, not four. You play them from hand. Um, they had more HP. They gave up, but they gave up two prizes. I, yeah, they gave up two prizes. Okay, um, pretty sure. Oh. Um, but they weren't played that much. Of course, the the winning deck, uh, Magnus and played the, the Oxys or Quasa Legends. So that was a little more common. Mm-hmm. No one played the Spookin' Entei Legend deck, which I was mainly played because it one-shotted uh, all the fire deck guys, and it had a lot of HP, so there weren't many things that could KO it in one shot. Um, and then I think I, had, I think I initially had, like, Blissey or something, because Blissey was healed, so that made it to the final deck, but also had a lot of HP, so you could attack with it. It was just 60 or something, but if you're healing so much mm-hmm. uh but then uh my friend spencer Nall, who I've, hasn't played in a long time but maybe old school and who's a super whooper on that <laughs> um that's a, he, that's a great name <laughs> it is a great name um he pointed out to me that the suikunente legend could not sort of wall off the stage ones deck because it has the zoroark that copies attacks and the Zorart can copy the second attack of Suikunente Legend, which is Snipe for 100, which I never use in my deck, or hardly ever, but could snipe the Reuniclus and just yeah. kill the whole deck. So, and my friends, I think, had been trying to sell me on the Donphan Prime. I was like, I don't need Donphan Prime. I kind of got everything mapped out. But then I was like, oh, I, I need a different attacker for the Stage 1s. Mm-hmm. So that lets Donphan Prime. So that was not in the deck until Friday. And then it was one one, and then from testing it's Magnezone deck, you're like, oh, this is really good. Let's make this a two two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was the main sort of big change the night before. And then the beach was kind of like, what? This is legal. Um, <laughs> Extra consistency is just good. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it, it was yeah. So it was you know, again, it was like I've heard people say, it's like, did you you know drop a binder and sixty cards? Well, like, how did you think about this? But again, it was. Uh, you know, a few ideas, testing a few things leads, you know, to one idea leads to one insight and test something else. And, you know, there's, you know, a few chains that led to the truth and some improvements um, from friends and last minute testing and a last minute gift card. Like, sure, throw this thing in that was totally not on my radar until <laughs> just now. Um, and, you know, I had no idea how well it would work, right? Because it's such a different kind of deck and it you know, hadn't been too rigorously tested. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked pretty well got me pretty far how far did theorying get you with this deck because it's like such a toolbox so how much is like thinking through every matchup and you're kind of like when you sit down you're like well i've thought about this and it's gonna play out this way yeah i mean i think for that deck in particular is sort of crafted entirely around like having an answer to every big deck and that Mm -hmm. is that is kind of how i approach Pokemon in general, like I, I mean, there's a lot of ways ideas can develop, but a lot of times that starts with, okay, I need to beat this deck, this deck, this deck. 
And, you know, and there's different ways to do that, different types of decks, you know, aim to do that in different ways. But for a lock deck, yeah, it was very much like, okay, I have this file plume reunit list strategy. Is there attack an attacker that can wall every deck I see? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, for things like with uh, Magnus Zone Embor, you have to you just have to be fast basically to because they they can do infinite damage if they set up. Yeah, uh, but that is you know even, I lost that in the finals, but I did beat that in top eight, so it's, it was not an unwinnable matchup. Uh, but for other things, the whole strategy was wall. So um, I didn't see anything too weird. Um, so it was most I played mostly against decks. Uh, I expected. So I, I was, and some things like the Yen Mega, the Yen Mega decks, you had to be really careful because you really needed to. Yes, that's mainly why I had to have the Pichu that uh, filled your bench. And I think, what, it let your opponent fill their bench? Um, because I needed two Solosis, two Oddish against mm-hmm. Yen Mega deck because they're going to they're, they're gonna kill something. Yeah. And I, so I can have one of either. But then they kill something, then I can twins lock, and then they they can't do as much bench damage, and even if they can, I can move it away. Mm-hmm. So that was a tricky matchup too. But it was I had a game plan for every deck, and that's really that went into the development of the deck for sure. And do you think like because worlds tends I mean everyone at worlds is obviously a very accomplished player to get there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. do you think that helps this type of strategy of like, I need to beat these things. And then you know that you're going to play against these things because everyone there is a good player with a top tier deck. Or do you think this kind of strategy could work in a regional as well? And it's just like, well, I'm not going to put all this effort into a regional because it's not worlds. Yeah, I think, I think it kind of depends on sort of the meta and what's, what's going on. I think, I think I definitely, I think all play players probably do this now but mm-hmm. even back then i would you know do you have an expected metagame and you prepare for that and yeah probably in worlds it's a little more often you know you you face those decks you don't face super random things yeah um but there, there are probably some years where you know you get the world's meta predicted wrong and then you know um but yeah i think i think that does help but it's not it's not foolproof that you're like okay this the top player, so you will know what the metagame is. But I guess that that's generally true, I, I think. I'm saying it back to this last one where it's like Palkia is going to be played, and then Palkia yeah. was played. <laughs> it was everywhere. Right, yeah. right. So I yeah, even this last one, it was kind of a mix, right? We we knew there would be Palkia, and there was a heck of a lot of Palkia. Um, you know, we didn't see um we well, I guess we knew, I guess Pikachu had just won nationals. Um, I think a lot of people weren't sure if that would, you know, stick around. We mm. didn't see the Jolteon stuff. There's a lot of Jolteon decks. Um, you know, Pablo back brought back the Reggies. <laughs> and I think a couple other players. Yeah. Um, so you know, we didn't, I think by and large, the meta game wasn't exactly what we thought, but you know, it was it resembled what we all thought. So it's you know, it's always somewhere in that middle. Sometimes you get the meta spot on, sometimes it's a little more different than you expected. And then last question for me, and this one's purely selfish because and I mean, listeners will get something out of it, too. But so you're talking about like testing all these vile plume decks and things like that. This is something I've done where it's like kind of what you did. Where like this card is definitely good. Something can be built around it. My tendency is after the second try of like this isn't working, I give up. How do you have that like 
the grit, I guess, to just like, no, 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 this is good. I just need to keep tweaking it versus the like, no, this is a failed idea. I'm going to move on to the next one. Yeah, it's hard. And I, and I, I think I don't always make the right choice because mm-hmm. um, there, there have definitely been some world. I mean, there've been with some worlds where I like go all in with the, you know, very rogue idea and it doesn't work out. And then, you know, you can't really judge any deck by one world, right? There's so much, you know, match of variance. There's so much RNG in the game. So like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can't just say, oh, I went four and four or five and three. It's like, oh, it was a bad deck. Well, yeah, maybe a thing or two. You could have been six and two and made top gun. Who knows? So, but some years, at least in my opinion, probably stuck with a rogue deck that maybe wasn't the best play. I think it's always been like a decent play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do sometimes get caught um, where how you're saying like sometimes there have been years I, it's the week of worlds and uh, you know, I don't feel too confident in the deck I have. And, uh, and then I'm sort of kicking myself like, Oh, I should have given up on this two <laughs> weeks ago. Or something. Uh, and it's hard to say. I mean, like, you know, if I had gone two and five with the truth, I probably would feel that way about the truth. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, switching out last minute. Um, and there are some years like, uh, 2015, I got top. I got through day one and got top 16 with Primal Groudon. Which I, I didn't invent Primal Groudon or anything. It was maybe not the most played deck, so I was still kind of looking away from center a bit. But I, that and other years, like I'm sure I was testing a lot of crazy things, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know I had to give up at some point. Um, 2008 was an interesting year because uh, that was, I guess, the one other than 02. That was one year I didn't straight out qualify for worlds because mm-hmm. i was stubborn and didn't play guard of war much, much of that <laughs> oh was that the year uh, where it was like guardy was s tier and then everything else was like tier three yeah so 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 in my somewhat selfish opinion like this is why guardy is like the best deck of all time because i end up playing guardy at world <laughs> so that like the one time in my life i played the bdif because i i didn't at nationals i played an Empoleon deck, which other people did well with, but uh, mm-hmm. and that tanked my rating. So I like, oh, I was gonna miss Worlds for the first time. I got, I went seven one in the 08 grinder with Guardy after basically switching to Guardy the week of Worlds because I, you know, I, I I was trying a bunch of things. I was trying yeah. like a there was like a safeguard Altaria, and I, I was trying a lot of weird stuff. Um, but then I, I had I had to switch back at the last minute and kind of give. That was the one year I like fully gave in and played the best <laughs> format. And learned that that week and you know did got through the grinder and finished 33rd actually uh so let's I go just missed, top, just missed top 32 i actually lost my last round on a flip so that was uh that, that was hurts. quite a that was quite an event but uh it was the one year like i i you know fully i i failed i'm playing the best deck <laughs> uh, but like the grout on year and other years i you know kind of failed and kind of played something meta mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a good question you've asked, like when, when do you know, when is the time to give up? Cause you know, we, you don't have infinite time and yeah, I don't make, I don't think I always make the right decision cause it's, uh, sometimes I, I wait too late to switch. Um, there are probably times I switched off and maybe, maybe missed something, um, like, uh, 2010, mm-hmm. I know I'm jumping around a lot, but hopefully some people who love the history of the game will appreciate that. 2010, I had been. I played Guardy again when it wasn't as good. I mean, Pramo played it to second, but it wasn't. He wasn't dominant like 08. Mm-hmm. And um, but I had been testing that summer the uh, the stage two Garchomp 
which had like a, an ability, like if you attack it, you return energy to their hand. And it was, it was like a decent deck, but that was one I played for a while and then gave up on. And I think it was Drew Goritsky played it to top 32. So could that have been? And I, I didn't do particularly well. I think I, I think I went 4-3, which was like top 40. But like I was I was out before the last round. Um, so that's the case, you know, you know, maybe I should have tinkered with that a bit more. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's um yeah, I mean, obviously some of the ones I've talked about, I've tried a few different things before I arrived, but um, you know, I was still constantly changing. I wasn't like sitting on one deck list for two weeks and like, you know, tweaking one card, like, oh, I still 3070 in this matchup. Oh, I'm still 3070 in this matchup. I tried new things. Mm-hmm. And then you know, eventually if you like run out of new things to try, maybe you you shelve a concept completely. But um yeah, I mean I, I face those questions every year and I, and I I probably have more, you know, sort of uh experience and intuition having done this for some so long. But um I definitely don't think I make the right choice each year of sort of when to, to give up on a project or when to stick with it, or I mean, even the Intellion Radiant Charge was sort of interesting because um, I was test I was testing mostly against myself, which is why I'm like really serious. I like that's that's where I do most of my testing. Same There's pros and cons to that, but uh, like I was going fifty fifty against Palkia mm-hmm. when I was playing both sides, but that's because I knew the matchup really well. And then you hit worlds yeah. and you realize they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Exactly. And that was a little bit of a surprise because um because it's worlds, right? Yeah. Um but like I, I think I went five one against Palkiadex. Uh, I did lose to Estrada in uh day two and who made top eight. It mm-hmm. was a close game. I did I prized some things. So like but I think he was he knew he was good enough that was that was probably gonna be a fifty fifty. But other people, even like people in Day one, even in day two worlds, I think I won my two, first two day two rounds against Palkia. And it's a lot of subtle things that can swing that matchup. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I, so I test this thing. I have, I have the day one invite. You know, I have a huge, this really long path to top eight. And, you know, like, oh, now I'm only going 50-50 against the big deck. Like, is this really going to take me that far? So, um you know, so you never know, but I stuck with it. And, uh, you know, people did subtly misplay against it, which improved my odds and kind of got me to the top tables. Um, so I, I think that's always the case. You're, you're always sort of um, maybe more so with sort of rogue decks that not everyone's playing. You're rolling the dice a bit. And there's, I mean, there's, of course, the luck, there's the matchups, but then there's also things like, are people going to figure out what to do against this deck? Are people going to play this tech? Mm-hmm. And, uh, Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't like uh, my 2019 year where I didn't get through day one. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's all you can do. You just keep, you try your best. At least my, and I, you know, I'm sure like everyone, you stress a lot about your deck choices and what deck to play for worlds because you play all year for it. And um, so I, I, I don't know how much confidence I had, you know, last year with Intellion Czar or even the truth or, or many years because you know, I've been I've been burned many times before. <laughs> so I, I just try to focus. I try to not like, you know, get too emotionally attached to like, did I make the right choice or not? I just try to focus. I'm trying to make the best choice I can. This is why I think this could work out, and we'll see what happens. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, 
you know, it's worth enough times for me that I, I feel good sort of taking that tact of, uh, you know, trying to make something new and so, and sometimes it really pays off. That little ending piece is the perfect place to end it because I think if there's anything people are going to go back and like re-listen to the last like couple minutes is, is beautiful. Something we all need to listen to <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, all you can do is your best and, you know, even if you do everything right, Pokemon is a, can be an unforgiving game with all the luck elements. So if, uh, if I can give any other advice to young players, you know, just, you know, have some humility, you know, you think luck's not going to go your way, even if you do everything right. And that's, that's just part of the game for better or worse. And, you know, that's, uh, helps you learn about life if anything. <laughs> um, but, uh, I do, I do think sort of not getting too high or too low about, um, kind of where you're at in testing or what's going to happen and trying not to worry and just really focus like, do you have a plan? Do you have a, a belief that this could work out? And, and that's all you can do at the end of the day. Ross, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed every second of listening to you tell stories. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. It's been fun to, to kind of relive these many moments throughout the history of the game. If people or actually any shout outs, anything like that, and are people able to contact you if there's any way or are you uh, you're you're living the Pokemon life and they got to come up to you at a regional? Um, I mean, shout out to my team, Team X Files. I mean, most of them have, have retired now, but they've, you know, they're some of my closest friends and they've supported me for so long. Uh, yeah, I don't have a bit. I don't have a social media, um, you know, a big social media presence or anything. I'm not putting myself out there. A anyone's welcome to come say hi to me at regionals. Um, I, I people have. Yeah, I'm usually sitting around just kind of, uh, you know, relaxing and waiting between rounds. So I'm happy to, to chat with anyone who wants to chat for a minute or two. Um, I guess I did want to plug, I, I, so I don't do social media or anything, but uh, I did this series of articles last year for the 25th anniversary of Pokemon, which are on Pokemon.com. I forgot to look up what they are, but it's with me, Jason Klasinski, Tord Reklev, Michael Pramwat, and Mike Martin, a longtime judge. Uh, so we wrote eight articles about some of our favorite cards from the history of the game. So if, uh, if you missed that and you're kind of curious about the history of the game, uh, you can probably find that in Google somewhere on Pokemon.com. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but otherwise, uh, you can try to try find me at some tournaments. And uh, yeah, I think that's all. Myself, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mellow underscore Magikarp. Be sure to follow the Lake of Rage podcast at Lake of Rage Pod on Twitter as well. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review, etc. And we will catch you all next week.